Hey, everybody. So uh, let me tell you something. About 10 months ago, I uh, was in a room with a group of people, and we were plotting out. Uh, we did a lot of praying, a lot of prepping, like, God, what do you want uh, us to go after and, and to preach on? What parts of the Bible should we open up for? Uh, at this time, it was, it was, so 10 months ago, if you're tracking, wasn't in the current year. So that was 10 months ago. And then about, uh, about six months ago, I'm sitting in my office uh, writing uh, more details about what I would share with you today. And then this past week, I write a lot more details to the sermon, unbeknownst to me, that this week would be slightly riled up, at least on the internet or in your private conversations. Now, I say all that because we're in a series that we've been talking about how to have friends, how to have a village. <clears throat> and when divisive things get put onto the table, is that not one of the places that makes it really difficult where you might say, I want to be friends with that person, but, they, but we don't line up. How do I do that? So all that. There's your disclaimer, your precursor. There's your setup, too. What's <laughs> funny to me, where this sermon is going to start in Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And then the kicker, do all that you can to live in peace with the people that you like. That's not what that says. Come on. To live in peace with everyone. I just find this fascinating in a culture right now. We're going, relationships and peace do not seem to be coexistent. In fact, uh, let me tell you a story that I think examples some of this. Nick Wallenda, uh, June 15, 2012, decides it would be a good day to walk across Niagara Falls. I I was doing other things that day that I think were far wiser. Anyways, uh, so he had been practicing and prepping for this, and if you've ever seen Niagara Falls, one, it's, it's outstandingly beautiful. But if you, if you pay attention, it's beautiful typically when you're on one side of the railing and you're looking at it and taking pictures of it. Well, this guy determined that he was going to break a record. No one had walked directly across the falls. And so they worked all the details of 1,500-foot uh, cable gets stretched across. Now, if you don't know your science that didn't pay attention in class, you put a, a cable that far, that long, um, here's what happens to that cable. It kind of goes back and forth. It doesn't be like, oh, it's just a solid line, like I would draw on a piece of paper. ha uh -uh. <laughs> In fact, that cable had a 30-foot slope down, about 35-foot slope down. So when he's walking across Niagara Falls, it's not a perfectly straight line. He's walking downhill and then uphill. Let's add a little bit to the details. There's water everywhere. We clear on this? Waterfalls, the mist. And so what we know would have been current at that time, is approximately 60 mile per hour wind gusts to the side and up. It's crazy. The cable's soaking wet. He gets soaking wet. And he's, he came up with the idea and walks across this cable. 
What's interesting to me is how he prepped for this. He obviously didn't prep over and over for months over Niagara Falls. So he set up a, a, a pretend site where he would walk across and he would get, uh, you know those, those wind boats, typically you're there in the swamps, right? Giant fans. He hooked those up and would blow wind onto him, oftentimes 90 miles an hour blowing it while he was practicing. He got fire trucks that would shoot water on him as he was practicing. See, when I see this story, I'm like, that, my friends, is what having relationships is like nowadays. <laughs> I think you go to work, and maybe, maybe one of your coworkers sees the world differently than you do, and you start to feel like talking to them is, is like this. And then the wind gusts and the, and the water. I think you, you go have a family vacation and you think you love each other. And then not too long ago, you're like, we can't, even, we can't get along. Meanwhile, the pastor guy keeps coming up saying, hey, you need a village. You need friendships. You need people around you that you need to make sure that you're investing in. They're investing in you and you're thriving in friendships. And many of us are going, yeah, but Pastor David, would you talk about how difficult that is? Because so far I've said you need it, talked to you about serving, even gave you a roadmap last time, like here is how to make friends for those of us who missed that lesson. But then there's frustrating stuff that pops up in the Bible that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Romans 12, 17 through 18 says, you want to talk about relationships and villages? All right, never, never, if you're like, but when do I get to? never. Never, ever, ever, ever pay back evil with more evil. So annoying. Do, do things in such a way that everyone can see. See, some of us are like, but I'll explain that I'm honorable. No, you don't get that option. They need to see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do you understand the tightrope now? That seems grueling when someone hurts you or disagrees with you. Even to where you've got Supreme Court uh, deciding something, maybe that's your issue, but maybe it's even closer to home. Maybe you and your spouse, you just can't even have a conversation anymore. Maybe when you go to work, it's all about bickering and, and who's in charge and who has authority. You see how this begins to play out? And so i got to bring something up. It's related to the sermon, but, but, but we got to see. I don't know your approach to the Bible. So when I'm going to talk to you about how to navigate relationships and friendships, how, how to navigate people who you might call are difficult, or maybe you'll use other words that I'm not going to use in a sermon in church, but you're going to like, you're, you've got difficult people in your life. We've got to talk about something really quick about how you see your situation and how you see the Bible. Here's the best way I can illustrate it. I did not draw this. You're welcome. Uh, some of us take our situation, and based on our situation is how we choose to see the Bible. You tracking with me so far? We, we, we look at our circumstances, the people in our lives, what they want, what they say is their truth, and all that kind of stuff. And based on that is how we determine to interpret the Bible. Or there's another approach. You take the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? And that informs what you're going to do with your situation. Hopefully the illustration gives you this idea that you and I are in a quandary right now. Because we live in a culture right now that says the Bible is outdated, it's irrelevant, it's misinterpreted, and so now that times have changed, we read the Bible differently based on our circumstances. 
If you do that, you know what you're going to do? The first time someone makes you mad, you're going to cancel them. Because the Bible doesn't inform how you do relationships. But a follower of Jesus Christ has committed because of what Jesus said that the word of God is actually, the word of God is what puts light on how we do life. So I bring this up, yes, in relationships, but, but I know who I'm talking to. And you need to know we're a mixed group. And some of us right now do not allow the Bible to tell us how to do life. We tell the Bible what is relevant and what's irrelevant. And we got to be careful. And so this sermon is entirely built on you need relationships. They will be difficult. And the Bible teaches us how to do this. Okay. So let's go back to relationships. I'm going to talk to you about the devil. To get you isolated. The enemy once your connection's canceled. I, uh, not even trying. I'm losing friends left and right these days. Not even trying. I'm trying to be nice, but nice is not good enough anymore. You tracking with me? And what I'm telling you is I'm not mad at my friends or old friends or whatever you want to call them. I think the devil is at work trying to get you and I to get so disconnected from each other. Because that's how the devil works. First Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Who? The devil. Not your best friend. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you're like me and you grew up, you used to watch the TV shows where you'd watch big animals eat little animals and it was fun. Uh, if you don't know how they do this and you've ever seen anything like this, they try to get that animal isolated. They find the slower one and go after that. The devil's doing the same thing to you and I. And just to be very current, the devil is using things that our government does and says, things that happen at work and in our schools, and is using it to, to divide us. I would conclude this. The enemy hates community and wants to divide us. I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe one of the greatest threats to the devil is two people in a good, healthy relationship trying to be godly. He hates it, so he tries to divide. If you want to know why marriage is so difficult, <laughs> if you want to know why family is so difficult, if you want to know right now why almost every environment, and I know this to be true, every environment we walk into, walking a tightrope, going, I don't know what to say and how to say it and how to keep people on the same page and how to actually do life well, you're seeing with the, this, uh, the work of the devil. So here's a relevant question. What does the Bible say about tightrope relationships? What does the Bible say about when anything hits the news and we begin to go like, well, we're divided now. That person said that and that person said that. Guess we can't be in any kind of friendship. What do we do? I'm glad you asked. I'm prepared. Ephesians chapter 4 is going to give us a lesson. If you're a note taker, I'm about to tell you, there's going to be a few of them. You might say he had more than a few, but just start with there. We had a, I've got a few that, that Paul talks about. What in the world to do when you're in a circle of people, at a table with people, when you're friends with someone, when you're following someone, and you disagree or they disagree with you, and you're all of a sudden you're at odds, what do you do? What in the world do you do? Do you ignore them? Do you cancel them? Do you unfollow them? Do you quit? Do you get a new job? Do you get divorced? What, what, what do you do? Ephesians 4 says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, tells you how dedicated, he says, following Jesus is like that, beg you to lead a life worthy 
worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Here we start. Always be humble. Woo! Humility. If you don't know, here's a, here's a good quote. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I tried to find out who said it. Uh, apparently, there's five to ten people who get credit for this. So I'm just going to give you quotes, okay? Uh, humility. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Okay, I'm not going to make you raise your hands at all. But, but listen, uh, uh, you just need to know almost all of us find ourselves humble. <laughs> Most of us right now are like, hey, are you because we, we, we get so black and white on this, we, we don't think that we're prideful and arrogant, so we're like, well, I'm humble, I'm humble. I don't, I don't think I'm cooler than everybody. So let's talk about humility so that we know that we have humility rather than assume we have it. Romans 12.10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I want you to see a connection. I want you to learn about humility, maybe something you don't already know. In the original language, in the Greek wording, the word honoring would mean to prize. Uh, to prize was to add value to this person, was to acknowledge the value of that individual. In other words, if you're going to honor another person, you're going to look at that person and say, you have extreme value. I'm going I'm to prize you. I'm going to cherish you. How's that connected? How's honoring and humility connected? Our humility diminishes when their value diminishes. In Scripture, you see the, the connection. It's not just saying, are you humble? Do you think you're cooler than everybody? No, there's a, there's a value connected to this. If you want to know if you have humility, the key to humility is refusing to forget their value. Now, I put there on purpose because that's how we talk about the people we don't like. They or their response for us to understand, do we have humility, then do you value people even when they have a different political party than you do? Even when you see that their post is something you radically disagree with. Even when they undercut you at work. Even when your spouse doesn't use the right tone. I'm trying to put all the examples in. See, we struggle with this because um, nowadays, for some reason, we're assigning value to people based on if we align with each other. And if you want any good relationship, whether the person is going to agree with you or not, you've got to bring humility. And humility is you have value. You have value. You know what you have to tell yourself consistently? You're gonna, you don't say it out loud. I mean, yes, you could say it out loud to the person, but in your head as you're talking, you're disagreeing, you have value. You have extreme value. You are so valuable. I don't agree with you, but I, you have value. That's how you live humility out. Okay, that's not all he said. Ephesians 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. The word gentleness. The word gentleness has been misrepresented for now centuries, if you want to know this. It used to be considered extremely weak. Uh, in fact, if you were ever called, specifically if you were a dude, called gentle, you're like, you don't have any other words. It was seen as gentle was equivalent to weak. And so we would speak the opposite of gentle. <laughs> we, would, we would act the opposite of gentle. And I'm going to give you a picture of what gentleness actually is. I thought about 
getting someone to hold a cat, but I didn't. I'm extremely visual, and I think a lot of us are. When I bring up the word gentleness, when, when, when Scripture says that if you and I are going to walk this, this tightrope and that person's a jerk or that person believes something different or what do we do, and, and you're like, what do I bring to those kinds of conversations? Yeah, of course you bring humility. Whoever you're talking to, whoever you're with has extreme value. But you've got to watch your language and your, and your body language and you've got to watch how you treat that person. And you and I are supposed to bring gentleness you're not seeing this on the internet. This is the one that we don't see modeled. Gentleness, the definition, is strength under control. It's not weakness. That's why I love the beauty of those hands going, those hands could do some damage there. And see, okay. Have you ever been, that's just... Uh, use a random here. Have you ever been in an argument where someone said something and later on said, well, I didn't even really mean that? Most of us have been in those arguments. Well, that's not what I intended. A lot of times it's true. It's not what they intended. But what they intended was to exert power. You see it in marriage all the time, where a couple will fight and someone's going to say something they don't actually mean, but they're going to say it to exert some power. It's why some of us will like lash out with our mouths, will say something like harsh and intense and dogmatic. In fact, very polarizing. We might say, I'm going to do this. We're trying to exert some sort of power. When I would play basketball with my buddies and we would get in trouble, this is when I was a kid. If you got really mad, you know what you did? You took your basketball and went home. You know why we did that? It was, an, it was, a, it was exerting power. It's all the power we had. This is what we do. And so right now you got to think about that when you're in a situation, a relationship, a village, when you're part of a church, when you work somewhere, you're at school, and you're like, I don't like what they're saying and what they're doing. You will be tempted to lash out with your mouth and to belittle human beings. And what Paul's telling us, if you want to actually walk the tightrope well, you got to be humble, but you got to be willing to hold back. If you think I'm just trying to be passive, I am not a passive individual. I want to show you something. Matthew 26. This is Jesus, soon to be crucified. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? Let me help. Aren't you going to reply? Aren't you going to put up a post? Aren't you going to say something? What do you have to say for yourself? But what did Jesus do? He remained silent. Does it ever frustrate you? You know what Jesus could have done in this moment? Oh, you want to know? And he could have brought in like the angels. He could have brought in like the intense, the, like the totally armored up, all bad looking, probably on Harleys, all rolling in. Be like, you want to know who I am? He doesn't. He could have come up with the best phrasing, poetic, yet also just belittle all of them. He could have in that moment, oh, oh, you want to know like what I have to say for myself? He could have gone person by person and say, guess what you've done? And guess what you've done? And guess what you've done? And here's how you messed up. You know Jesus could have done this. He could have ripped all of them. He could have flown out. He could have beamed himself somewhere. But what he chose to do at a moment of being accused, and he was the right one, 
He was silent. A long time ago, someone invented the internet. We're, we're appreciative. And they made things like websites and blogs, and then social media came along. And now, listen, now, we're being told that being silent is wrong. When maybe it's the most gentle thing we could do. Don't buy the narrative that being silent is ungodly because it's what our Savior did. And there are moments to speak up, but there are definitely moments to shut your mouth or to put your thumbs away, to put your fingers down, and to let that strength be under control. It's the question I had. This is just me in my office. When do we lack gentleness? Like, like when does it like, when do we have proof? Because I always like proof. Like, because I, I have blind spots, you, you do too. Like, how do I know? Here's what I think. It's when winning the argument is greater than and more important than everything else. If you want to know if you're outside the, the boundaries of gentleness, it's when you're simply trying to win the argument. As soon as you're trying to just only win the argument, you have taken the relationship and put it way out of the level of importance. You see this? And Jesus didn't try to win every argument. And can we admit that he probably would have if he had tried? What a week to talk about this stuff. It's not my fault. It's God's. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to... Lead a life worthy of your calling for you and called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Patience. Patience. How annoying is patience? Who loves to stand in lines? Anyone? Huh? Right? That's, that's typically what we, we think about, right? We, we, we don't like to stand in lines of patience. And most of us, it's oddly, most of us would say we're humble, and most of us would say, and I need to work on some patience. You see, like, we, we all seem to kind of identify with all the same things. So I don't know that we understand patience. And I'm going to risk you misinterpreting me. Okay? Okay. Paul didn't just say be patient. He added some color to it. Let me show you in Ephesians chapter 4. Be patient with each other, making allowance. Do you remember allowance? Did you get allowance when you were a kid? Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. When someone messes up, making allowance for them to mess up, to be wrong. Here's where I'll lose some of you. If you're going to be patient, you have to be tolerant. What a hot word, tolerant. Tolerance. We need to be more tolerant. And if you don't know this, if you're new to church, uh, if you want to perk someone's ears, as a pastor on a stage, bring up the word tolerance and how we need to be more tolerant. Some of you right now, you're gathering your things up literally and going, we out, we out, we're gone. So, 
Here, tolerance isn't, just so you understand what tolerance isn't, it, tolerance isn't stamping approval on everything. I, I know the world would tell you that if you're going to be tolerant, that means here's how to be tolerant, is, oh, your truth is your truth, my truth will be my truth, and we'll just coexist together. You do whatever you want to, and I'm cool with it if that's how you want to live your life. That's not tolerance. It's relativism. <laughs> that it, it's also not compromising biblical convictions. It's, it's not taking the Bible and saying, ah, oh, that's different now. That's not relevant. You know what tolerance is? Giving people the same free will God gave you. I can tell you lessons as a dad. Do you know I, what I can't do as a dad? Control everything my kids do? I tried. I tried. I gave up. Have you ever tried to control a situation? And then eventually you realize, I can't control these people. I can't make these people do what I want them to do. Do you know that's what God's doing with you? You know, he doesn't treat you like a robot. He doesn't make you move your arms and your hands and, and make every decision that you ever make in your life. He gives you some room to mess up. Do you need me to have us raise our hands? Who in here is messed up, right? Well, we all would raise our hands, right? And like, uh-huh, right? Do you understand that God has given you tolerance? Without compromising anything, he's given you space to exhibit your free will, to choose him or not to choose him. And sometimes... You know how we err if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian? You know how we err? When someone doesn't believe what we say they should believe or what we think they ought to, we try to control that situation. We try to make them or convince them. And if you want to walk the tightrope of relationships that our life has forced us into, you need these three things. Humility, gentleness, and patience. And hopefully you have even a better understanding of these. Humility is not like saying, I'm worthless. It's that other people matter. Gentleness is not that you are weak. It's that, well, it's that you're going to hold back. You're going to control yourself. And patience is, I'm going to give room for people to be wrong and to mess up, trusting that God can do something with this. There's your, there's your tips or your truth. But what's cool is what Paul does before that. All the stuff I just read to you, Paul said something beforehand that should fuel everything I just shared with you. You're like, I don't want to be humble. I don't want to be patient. I don't, I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to be gentle. Ephesians 3 is how he set the whole thing up. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. He'll give you power. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand. Stop. And may you have the power to understand. He's about to say, you need power to understand what's about to happen, but you've got to understand something so profound that actually could fuel all of your life. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, here's what we need to understand, how wide how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. 
you're not going to want to apply things like humility and gentleness and patience if you've forgotten that God loves you. Have you ever heard of the, the honeymoon phase of marriage? Some of you are like, yeah. It's, it's a term coined basically to illustrate a little bit that, that when a couple gets married, that there's a, there's a season. For some, it lasts about a day. Some, some the, the old adage was it was a year. And, and some marriages would say, we're still in it. It's awesome. But the phrase is that when you're out of the honeymoon phase, you probably have heard that. Even when you get a new job, you're like, and you start to not like the job or you see who the people really are, <laughs> they'll say you're out of the honeymoon phase. What that's speaking without speaking is that, is that you started off with a love, you started off with a level of humility, gentleness, and patience. And you were, it was full cups on all three of them. <laughs> you just got to know these people or this person. But then the cups got less full and less full. And the love wasn't near as intense. And so some couples would describe their marriages, we, don't, we aren't in the honeymoon phase. We just have to work extra hard to like each other. I use that to get your mind on the fact that God's love for you hasn't lessened ever. I don't know if you've ever decided to follow Jesus. I imagine a great number of you have decided to follow Jesus. And so probably in that moment that you decided, you, you felt God's love. It's like it was a big, you felt close to God. You felt like you were with God, that God liked you and loved you. And it was an awesome, thriving relationship. But then as you go on, you live your life. And especially as adults, we wonder, does God love me as much because I've done such and such? Is it as intense? And I would tell you, God loves you like crazy. And if you're going to love others well, I think this is the foundation to it all, is that God loves you. Remember that God loves you as you go to work and school and do all the stuff that's difficult, as you walk the tightrope. If you can remember that God loves you no matter who you are, perhaps you can bring humility and gentleness and patience into that relationship. So we're going to do something. Uh, when you walked in, uh, Hopefully you were able to get some, a communion cup and a wafer. You can go ahead and open all that up. Um, if you don't know how, ask the person next to you. And if you're at home right now and you're like, I didn't get that when I walked in, uh, go to your fridge. Find liquid and food. And we're going to, whatever you got. But I want to lead you through what uh, has been called communion. If you're wondering, am I allowed to do this? I don't know if I'm, I'm not a member of this church. I have, uh, according to Scripture, according to the Bible, according to what Jesus said, it's not that you need to be a member of the church, it's that you believe and trust in Him. And so the requirement for communion is that you don't fake it. This is not meant to be religious. This is meant to remember what Jesus has done for you. So if you've never been taught this, I'll tell it to you. Jesus was at a meal with His disciples this was preceding the moment he would eventually be crucified, dying for our sins. And he broke bread, which was very traditional, and he passed the bread. He said, you know, from now on when you gather like this, that when you break bread together, I want you to remember that my body's going to be broken for you. One example of this is the curtain that would have been in the Holy of Holies that would have been in the temple. That curtain was often referred to as the, the body of the Messiah, the Savior. And when Jesus dies, that curtain is torn. In other words, giving access to God that had never been granted before. 
Jesus is telling them that when, when we gather, if we want to remember his love, remember that because Jesus died for us, we're given access to God that we didn't used to get. And then he passed this goblet of wine around. He said, you know, now every time you gather like this and, and drink this, I want you to remember my blood's going to be shed for you. In other words, you get access to God, but you get to live with God because your sins have been covered. Jesus said, I want you to remember this for the rest of your life, for always. His goal was to get you and I a, a bit of, I think, a ritual to remember that he loves us. So I would imagine every one of us has a difficult relationship right now. Whether it's a digital relationship or a work one or a family one, you're like, what do I do? What do I say? You bring humility, gentleness, and patience. You're like, but that's difficult. So you remember that God loves you no matter what and he's with you. So I'm going to pray for us. And when I say amen, or even as I pray, you are welcome to eat that and drink that, remembering that Jesus loves you. It hasn't lessened an ounce. May we be a church that's able to have difficult conversations and difficult relationships. Why? Not because we're superheroes. It's because we believe what the Bible teaches us and we love Jesus and accept his love. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're about to remember what you've asked us to remember. That you provided the most incredible ultimate sacrifice even though every one of us has messed up. We've said the wrong things. We've done the wrong things. We've been too aggressive. We've been too passive. We've betrayed. We've wronged. And God, all of that You've covered. So God, um, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy that just showers in our lives. Lord, would you help us as a church be a group of people that can walk this tightrope of life that we're in right now. God, help us to be a light in any and every situation. Give us strength and power to do so, but we lead ourselves, Lord, just remembering what you have done for us. So, Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who, who died on the cross for us to save us. We're so grateful. We love you. Amen.